one of the things that I love about the Bible is it deals openly with, with the hardest issues, practically with the hardest issues in life. It doesn't ignore the hard issues. It doesn't give simplistic answers to the hardest questions. Now, I will have to acknowledge there are times that, that Christians, I think often well-meaning Christians, will give simplistic answers to hard questions. Oftentimes, you know, it's our, our tendency to quote a Bible verse that, that seems to give a simplistic answer. But I think the problem there is more often a, a simplistic view of the Bible and its teaching. But if we understand the Bible and its teaching properly, what we find is that its answers are anything but simplistic. And we see this in Jesus' ministry. Likewise, he doesn't ignore the hard issues. He doesn't avoid, avoid the hard questions. He takes them on. And, and one of the hardest questions that, that we're always going to deal with is a question about the suffering of children. You know, the suffering of those who love him. And especially when you have that kind of suffering turn into a lifelong challenge, a lifelong struggle. Um, now, because we're going to deal with this in the story, uh, we're dealing with somebody that had a handicap from birth. And because of something in our ministry, I just want to take a moment by mentioning that, that I'm thankful that as a church that, that, uh, that we've been developing a special needs ministry yeah, for families that have kids that are born with special needs, ex- extra challenges. And I, I'm thankful my daughter Christy took the initiative to start that ministry and, and others that have been a part of that. Uh, Deborah Cortell is now taking that over and I'm thankful for her stepping up into that leadership. It's a, it's a vital ministry. Um, the sad thing is in many churches, it's the families that have the special needs children, the families that need more support than any other, often are excluded from churches because they come to the church and they're like, well, we don't have anything for you and your kids. And so I'm really thankful for those that are committed to that. Uh, now, I did talk to Christy, and she said, you know, that in the midst of this, that they are trying to, uh, to you know, they, in the midst of this ministry, you know, they're trying to um, recruit some new, t- some new workers. And, um, and, and I'm, this isn't working here today, so it's, there we go, thank you. Uh, so there is a special needs, uh, some need for special needs ministry. Uh, what we have is we have a, a program during the 11 o'clock service. And so if you're at all interested in that, would like to know more about it, uh, would possibly interested in serving, uh, Christy Ribka is going to be out at the coffee bar uh, after the service and would love to answer any questions or you know, to, to try to recruit people to help, her, help out, uh, especially now Deborah as she takes over the leadership of that ministry. Um, now, for those who have experienced that, if you've gone down that path where you've, you know, you've seen your, your children struggle, you know, that's difficult. I know that there are people here that have been through even more difficult paths where it's not only the special needs, but you've seen your kids develop diseases at times that have cost them their lives. And again, I can't even imagine that. And I understand some of the special needs, I've not experienced that. And that's difficult. But the fact of the matter is that God speaks to those issues. If, If God didn't speak to those issues, I can't imagine how difficult it would be to try to deal with this. Thank you. Um, you know, if God didn't, you know, because when you look at that and you say, what would happen if God didn't? The problem would be we'd be left on our own. We'd be left on our own to try to figure out, okay, what to do, how to handle these things. And, uh, and the, the, the fact is that the Bible hasn't left us on our own. Thank you, Danny. I, I love even in this passage particularly, right here in the middle of the passage, look at what Jesus says in verse 5. 
I am the light of the world. In the middle of dealing with this whole thing, and part of what I think he's saying is, I've not left you in the dark when you deal with questions of suffering and pain. I've not left you in the dark when you're dealing, asking questions about special needs and no, no disabilities, all these things that God speaks to those things. That we're not left to somehow grasp meaning out of meaninglessness, but there is purpose, there's meaning. We're not left out in despair to try to, to create our own meaning. No, God speaks and he says there's a light and he says, okay, I wanna give you that light so that you can understand something of, of my purpose behind this. Now, if you have your Bibles open, let's go back to the first couple of verses of John 9. We started, saw in the beginning, we read, as, as, he, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, here's the picture. Jesus is walking by, and as he does so, he sees this man blind from birth. He's, we're told later on that he was begging because of his blindness in that culture. He, you know, he had no future, so his only hope was to beg. And so here's this beggar by the side of the road and we're told that Jesus sees this man and because Jesus sees this man, his disciples see the man. Now I think there's even something significant there. You see, the story doesn't begin with the disciples asking a question or with the disciples seeing the man. The story begins very clearly by saying Jesus saw the man and because Jesus saw them, then the disciples saw him. And what we need to realize is that we live in a world that, in our world now, as well as that world then, it's natural for us to look past the needs of, of the special needs, to look past those that are broken, those that are difficult. And what, what's amazing here is that we see in just this little picture of Jesus, he walks by and he, he doesn't look past, he notices them. And his notice drew the disciples' notice, and, and likewise, it should be the example for us to follow his example of of seeing those in our community that are broken, that have those extra needs. Unfortunately, the disciples saw Jesus and then they responded and their question was something less than compassionate. Look at their, their question. They said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They're basically saying, Jesus, we know that this man deserves this. He's got this handicap and we know that somehow it's deserved, but, but whose sin caused it? You know, why does he deserve it? Was his parents' sin or his own sin? And what it does is it reveals some really flawed beliefs about the relationship between sin and suffering. See, their question shows a lot, a great deal about their beliefs. When they're asked who sinned, this man or his parents, they're, they're assuming that the problem was the result of somebody's sin. That there was some sense that of course, of course we know that he deserved it. The only question is, who sinned? Who caused it? Now the common assumption of the day was that, was that you know, it was probably him, but in this case we're told that he was born blind, so, so how did he sin to cause this? Or maybe it was his parents' sin. Now I wanna acknowledge that this was very common in that day, but while we may say it differently, I think it's still an idea that's very common in our day as well. The assumption that oftentimes we have is that somehow personal suffering is the result of personal sin. Basically the idea that you know, if, if we have something bad happen to us, it must be that we had done something that we deserved it. It's somehow the result of that. And, and likewise, if we have good things that happen to us, it's because we're good people. We deserved it. We deserve God's reward. And the disciples are assuming this to be true. You know, if this man's born blind, you know, it, you know, again, the only question is, we assume that he must have deserved it, but because he's born blind, 
well, how could he have done something? And, and there were some Jewish leaders at that time that it would even taught that, well, you could have sinned in your mother's womb. And I'm not sure how you do that, but that's what some people taught because they're somehow trying to, to, to play out this idea of, of brokenness and, and you deserved it. And, and the disciples are struggling with this. And they're saying, Jesus, you know, well, we know if it was a regular man, then it must have been their sin. But how about this man that was born blind? Is it his sin or is it the parent's sin? Now, I want to recognize that it, there are some people that will still state these things very publicly. I always remember an extreme example of this when I was a pastor in Florida. There's a young man who was killed in a traffic accident. It's very suddenly. Uh, he's, you know, his, he's driving his car down the road. There were some kids that were drag racing down the other side of the road. One of them lost control, you know, went over lanes. They had a head-on collision. He was killed instantly. And, and here's a young man, a, a dad. He has two kids, his wife, that he left. And, and I remember in the midst of this tragic death, the dad of the wife, of the widow, going to his daughter and saying, you know, you need to know that God took Peter because you have some sin in your life. And so you need to take this as a warning and you need to find the sin that you're guilty of and repent of it. And I'm thinking, you know, that was, I mean, I heard that, it was tragic, and it's like, how do I intervene? And he tried to say, no, that's wrong. What your dad's telling you is wrong. That's wrong theology, and, but I've heard it, and we've all heard it. I mean, that was one of the most horrific examples of it that I can imagine. But the thing is, is that it's, it's a terrible thing, but it flows from this flawed belief. Now, it might be rare to, you know, to encounter this directly, but it's actually quite common. Again, people often think, well, if I do good, then God owes me good things. On the other hand, you know, if I've done something wrong, you know, people joke about, well, I'm just waiting for the lightning to strike. You know, they have this idea that if I do something wrong, I know there's going to be some negative consequence. And likewise, the second part of the question is common today also. You know, they said, was it maybe the fault of the parents? See, now, if you think outside of just physical problems, what you realize is that this is extremely common. How often have we heard over the last couple of decades where it's become very, very popular to blame your parents for all your problems, that whatever problem I have, it's my parents' fault. You see, I'm broken because of my parents. I'm broken. See, there's something in me that's broken and somehow I've got to find someone to blame and now we increasingly have said, well, let's go look to your parents. So again, while these ideas may be expressed in different ways, they're incredibly common still today. But here's what I want you to realize. They're based on a false presumption. There's a false belief behind the belief. Now again, I want to admit that the problem of suffering is incredibly difficult, and I won't pretend it's easy. But what you've got to see is that the way that they're asking this question reveals a false premise, a false presumption. Again, what they're asking really at the core is not just why was this man born blind, but why is there suffering? Why does this kind of thing happen? Which is again, an incredibly difficult question. But when we ask that question, what you've gotta realize is at the core, we're assuming something. We're assuming there shouldn't be suffering. We're assuming that God owes us a comfortable life and if, if we're doing good things, then, then life should be good. There shouldn't be blindness, there shouldn't be handicaps, there shouldn't be suffering. And we're asking, why is there suffering when there shouldn't be? See, we're not only assuming that God owes us a perfect life, we're in a sense assuming 
that the world should work in a certain way that suffering isn't the norm. We're assuming that we belong in the Garden of Eden. We're assuming the perfection of Eden. That our life and experience shouldn't include as a norm disease and, and handicaps and brokenness and death. So it's not only that we deserve the good of Eden, but that if we do good things, then God owes us only good things. But the difficult reality is that we live in a fallen world where brokenness and suffering and even death are the natural consequences of, of humanity's sin and brokenness. See, the problem is, is that we have this natural perception that we think that somehow our world shouldn't be broken. It isn't broken. And therefore, the normal state of things, we assume the normal state is that, that life should be good. We should be trouble, we should be healthy all the way. And to put another way, we long for the Garden of Eden. We, we long for this reality where life is not broken, where things work, and we kind of expect that. And deep down, what you've got to realize, the fact that we all long for that shows us something. We know that we were created for it. We, we long for this. And anybody that argues, you know, the whole idea of, you know, that's an, an argument against the whole concept of evolution. If, if the world evolved, we would assume that the, you know, survival of the fittest, we would assume brokenness and battle and, and disease. And, but the fact is there's something deep in our heart because we know that we were created for something different. And there's something deep in our heart when things are wrong, when we go through sickness, when we see our kids that have these special needs, when we go through pain and brokenness, there's something in us that cries out, this is wrong. I was created for a world without sin and death. I was created for a world without betrayal and without a world without abuse and a world without sin. And our souls long for Eden. And deep down, we know that's the world we're created for. And it's not wrong to long for that because it's, the reality is when God created us, that's the world that we were created for. And we long to go back. But the fact is we don't live in Eden anymore because Eden was destroyed by, by sin. And so we live in a world that is scarred by sin. And when we expect the perfection of Eden, when we expect, um, and, then, and then we experience brokenness and pain, we ask why? The problem is, is that we live with the assumption that, that things are gonna be good and when things aren't, basically what we're doing is we're assuming that somehow God is intervening and in bringing pain and brokenness into the world when it shouldn't be. And so that's what's happening here. They're saying, why is this man born blind? It shouldn't be. We should expect a world where these things don't happen. So God, how did it intervene? God, why, why did God intervene? Was it because his sin or his parents' sin? See, what we've got to realize is that the presumption here shows us that if the normal state is that we deserve God's blessing, and if the world is, is like Eden, then whenever there isn't blessing, it's because God intervenes. That God intervenes by bringing bad things in, pain, bringing pain, bringing judgment for sin. That's God's intervention. The normal is good and healthy, but God intervenes by bringing the bad and the judgment. So we have this idea that God is a God up in heaven and he's just waiting for us to sin. He's just watching us and just waiting for us to fall in some way. And then the question is, okay, well, as soon as, he, did he catch me? Is he gonna, you know, gonna hit by lightning? It's, I deserve that. Or I didn't deserve this because God, why did you intervene and send bad things when I don't deserve it? And it's all an expression of a radically false view of the world. The fact is we do not live in Eden. 
The fact is, is, yes, that's the world we're created for, so our heart longs for it, but that's not the reality we live in. So what is the truth? What is the relationship of between sin and suffering? What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that there is a right relationship. We live in a world that is indeed broken by sin. And the natural state as a result of the sin is brokenness and death. And God does intervene. But when we understand that the natural state is that it's a world broken by sin, God's intervention is not bringing pain and brokenness into a world that, where it doesn't belong, but God's intervention is holding back the brokenness, holding back the pain, is an intervention of grace. Now, he does intervene, not all the time. And so he doesn't hold back all pain and brokenness, he allows some in, and we're gonna see in a moment that it's always with a purpose. We don't always understand it, but there's always a purpose. See, there's a principle here that Jesus is, referring, is inferring and, and, and that we've got to see it's taught throughout the Bible and that's that suffering comes from sin in general but not sin from sin in particular. See, Jesus is in a sense saying that no, it's not a specific sin that caused this specific suffering of the blindness. He's saying, you gave me two options. You know, you asked, what caused this man's blindness? You know, his sin or his his parents' sin? And he's saying, that's a false question. Look at his response in verse three. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He's saying, you know, he gave me two possibilities, and neither is right. His suffering isn't the result of his sin or his parents' sin. You know, your assumptions are wrong. So then what is the connection? What's the truth of what the Bible teaches about, about this connection and the effects of sin? See, on the one hand, the Bible is incredibly clear. All suffering is the result of sin, but of sin in general. See, and Jesus is making a point here that, that yes, I'm not, he's not denying that suffering is the result of sin in general, but he's saying, no, that the suffering here, this particular suffering, isn't the result of the specific sin. See, the whole picture, if you go back all the way to creation, to Genesis 1 and 2, we talk about the Garden of Eden. God did create a perfect world. He created Eden, and there was no suffering. There was no pain. There was no sickness. There was no brokenness. There was no betrayal. There was no abuse because it was a world without death and a world without sin. And God told Adam, and he warned him, he says, okay, there's a tree there, and if you eat from this tree, the result will be death. The result will be brokenness. And it's plain from what we see then in Genesis 3, that's exactly what happened. Adam and Eve, they go and they take the apple, they bring sin into the world, and the result is that brokenness, that death, that disease came into the world, that the world is incredibly broken as a result. If you want a great passage, it teaches us. Look look to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. I'm not going to read it this morning, but it's a great passage which teaches unquestionably this idea that, that, that the world is broken because of of sin in general. If there had never been any sin, there would never have been any suffering. All suffering is owing to sin. Now, Now that's a rule about general suffering, but it's not about the specific suffering that comes, you know, that you know that you could say, okay, this suffering is a result of this sin. No, because of humanity's sin, we all suffering, but that's not the same thing as saying that you're suffering because you did this. It's it's totally different ideas. Yes, there is a sense that if there hadn't been any sin, there would never have been any suffering. You know, but the, the, the basic principle is this, is when you understand it, 
Remember the false premise was that we, we think that we belong in Eden. We want the world to be Eden. We want it to be perfect and we think that God owes us only good. The reality is the Bible teaches that no, that the world is broken by sin and as sinners we deserve God's punishment. All the world is broken by sin. So when, when mankind sinned, you know, the fact is before that you didn't have de- disease, you didn't have death, you didn't have betrayal, you didn't have shame, you didn't have any of these things. And yet the world itself is broken. And again, Romans chapter eight says that so clearly. We don't live in Eden. We're all sinners. Not only that, not only is the world broken, but our relationship with God is broken. We deserve God's, God's wrath. We're all sinners. We deserve not God's reward, but his punishment. What does Romans chapter six say? For the wages of sin is death. If God were to give us what we deserve, that's death. But it also continues, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Because while the truth is that the world is broken by sin and as sinners we deserve God's punishment, the Bible also teaches that God intervenes. But God's intervention is always an intervention of grace. It's not that we deserve good things in this perfect world and God's sending the bad. It's the reality is because the world is broken, the bad is normal, but God is constantly intervening and holding back what we deserve. The fact is, is that the world is broken. And if God were to take his hands off the world for a moment, we would fall apart. We would just self-destruct. I mean, it's only God's, what the theologians call his general grace, the fact that God shows grace to the world as a whole, that the world, you know, you know that we're not all dead right now. And that's not only true in the general sense of the world, it's also true for each of us personally. The fact of the matter is apart from God's grace, if I didn't know Jesus Christ, if God gave me what I deserved, what do I deserve? The wages of sin is death. What I deserve, I don't deserve God's reward. It's, I don't deserve a, a debate. I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. There's no question about that. And the only reason that I you know, didn't get that in the past was God's patient grace and then it's specific grace as I trusted in Jesus Christ and asked him for the forgiveness of my sin. What I deserve is now paid for in Jesus Christ. So I think of even as Father's Day, I think about discussions that you have with your kids. And, and I remember one particular, I think I've shared this before, but it just is so clear. Um, there's seldom do you really, really win an argument with your kids really clearly. There was one time, I, I remember I was talking to one of my kids and she was using that, that, that famous quote from, you know, line from our kids. Life's not fair, it's not fair, you need to be fair. How many of us have heard that, right? And so, so she thought, okay, she's not only arguing this, but she thought she can play the religious card on me and she said, life's not fair. You know, if you claim to be a, a Christian, you would be fair because God's fair and you want to be like God. And then God kind of gave me the right words to say at that one and I said, well, is God really fair? The fact is that if God's really fair, we're all going to hell. Do you really want God to be fair to you? The fact is the Bible isn't a message of God's fairness, it's of God's grace where he gives unmerited favor, where he gives forgiveness unfairly to people who do not deserve it. So I don't want God's fairness, I want his grace. So do you want me to be fair or do you want grace? And she's like, oh, and she walked away and I, I never heard her again ask for fairness. I mean, I've, I've never won an argument that well. See, it's a message of God's grace. 
And Jesus himself taught this idea, what? That the world is broken and God intervenes in the world. He taught it in one of the best known passages, again, throughout the Bible, let alone through this book. John chapter three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That it's a story of God's intervention into the world. And why did he intervene? Verse 17, for God did not send his world into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. His intervention is not to bring condemnation, but to bring grace. Why? Because whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It's not that God is a judge and God just waiting to get people. He's saying, no, that our, the, you know, we, the world is broken. We deserve, we deserve hell. We deserve his punishment. And it's not that God is intervening to bring punishment. God is intervening to offer grace to save us from the brokenness. And the whole story of the Bible is God's intervention. Now here's what we've got to realize. This right understanding of the relationship between sin and suffering is essential. However, it doesn't itself even there solve the problem. Because we're still, in a sense, left with a problem that we say, on the one hand, the Bible is a story of God's intervention, holding back the effects of brokenness and sin. So now, instead of asking, why did God intervene and send these bad things? Why did he bring suffering? Well, still now, I'm left with the problem of saying, why didn't God intervene to stop it? So I've still got a big problem. Why, you know, if God intervened so often, he intervenes here and here and here, why didn't he intervene here? See, what we've got to realize is that Jesus answers this question. Look at verse three, that's where he answers it, but he turns the whole question around. He says, it is not that this man sinned or that his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed within him. And he's saying what we've got to realize is that yes, it is a story of God's intervention. But you're asking why and focusing on cause. What caused this? Well, what caused it is sin in general. And so it's not a question of cause, it's a question of then why did God allow it? And that's a question not of cause, but of purpose. And he explains suffering not by talking about cause, but saying God allows, but there's a purpose that the works of God might be displayed in him. Look, what does he say? He's saying that suffering, yes, it's, it's, it's part of humanity, but it's governed by God's will so that all suffering is allowed by God to display the redemptive work of God in our lives. And the key thing here is when you look at this passage, there's two words I want you to remember. I have two words that I want you to see that just stand out here. But that, it was displayed in this man, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus Christ said, no, it wasn't either that, it's something else. There's a but that, there's an intent, there's a reason that God allowed. There's, there's suffering's nothing, or never for nothing. There's always a purpose, there's always a but that. It's never senseless. And what it's saying is that we've gotta realize that because we have a God who, as it talks about in Hebrews, that knows us, that loves us, that, that, you know, that has experienced life, that has experienced suffering, that has experienced death, he's a God that is compassionate. He knows that suffering. That he's not a God that is distant, that, that doesn't feel it with us. No, he does feel it with us. He's broken with us. He's sad with us in our affliction. He didn't design the world for pain. He didn't design the world for brokenness. And he is, in, in a sense, saddened, in a sense, broken by the brokenness of the world. 
And if you have any question of that, all you have to do is to go and look at what he did in the person of Jesus Christ in coming and taking the sin, taking the ultimate brokenness upon himself. And what does it say that yes, he's broken, but we realize that in that brokenness and in his grace of holding it back, there are times that he allows some suffering to come through. But it's always but that. It's always with a purpose. As it says in Romans chapter eight, we know that all these things, that for, for all that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that those who have a relationship with God, everything works out for a good purpose. There is a purpose that he has behind it. So as a Christian, we can sit down and say, you know, I'm suffering today and God's mad about that. He's, this isn't the way it should be. But we realize that in this life, he allows it because there's always a so that. There's always a but that. There's always a purpose. And he allows it for that good purpose. Now the fact is we won't always understand it. And even when we think about this whole idea of you know, children with special needs, I, and I recognize that you know, that my, you know, we have some of that. Now my kids, it isn't, neither of them are extreme, neither of them are, you know, we both have them both, but, but I, have, I have a child with, with autism and a child with diabetes. And we, we've asked those questions. We struggled with those things. And I remember even one day picking up my son, uh, Jonathan, and he's, he's, you know, he's 11 years old and he's struggling with his diabetes and he's having problems at school and he had another scare and, picking him up and, and, and you know, taking him out and we're talking to him and he, and he, and he, he says, I, you know, he's struggling as an 11-year-old. How do you explain to an 11-year-old how you have to live with diabetes the rest of your life? My 11-year-old taught me something. And he said, Dad, I've been thinking about it. I realize that maybe I'm like Joseph. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Joseph, you know, he got his brothers, threw him in the pit and sold him to slavery and, and, and he got thrown into prison and, and it, was like, it was like 20 years before he knew why. Maybe I won't know for 20 years. But he's saying, I know there's a purpose. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And the fact is, I may not, we may not understand it in 20 years. It may not be until we get into heaven. But I know that God works all things. It's not that that's a good thing. It's not that it's diabetes. It's not a good thing. But God has allowed it in his life because there's a good purpose for us. I remember when we had the diagnosis with, with David and with his autism and, and we're walking and we're praying together and, and, and God just like hit me because we're praying and we're saying, God, we pray that you heal David, but if not, then, you know, then help us to live with it. And, and we were praying that and I suddenly realized that's the wrong prayer because what I'm praying is in a sense, God, it's supposed to be Eden and somehow something bad happened and you must be surprised, so fix it and get it back to where it's supposed to be. And I realized that no, it's not supposed to be Eden. That you've held back in your grace so much from our family, but you allowed this through because you had a purpose. And so it's not fix him, and if not, help us to somehow adjust. But no, God, help us to understand your purpose. Help us to understand what is your good in this. And help us not to resent it, but somehow find hard things that are good. And recognize in the middle of that, and we long for perfection. And the great news is, we're gonna get it one day. One day, they're gonna be healed. One day, my son's not gonna have autism, he's not gonna have diabetes, and I might even have hair. It's, you know, it's one, one day we have eaten. The, the good news is, Christians, one day we get heaven. The bad news is, we don't get heaven until we get heaven. 
And in the midst of the in-between, there's always the so that that God will allow. But here's the beautiful thing, there's always a purpose, there's always a redemption. Look, it even goes further, Ephesians chapter one. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is so incredible. It's not only the brokenness, it's not only the brokenness that happens to us, it's even, it's even the sin that happens to us. It's even our own sin, our own fallenness. That God's grace is such that he is never the cause of evil, but he allows evil in our life, he even allows us to fall in the sense that he will turn it around and he will use it for good. So that he will take our story of shame and he will somehow transform it into a story of glory. That he will take the thing that you wanna hide from everyone that you say, well nobody can ever, you know, no one will ever accept me. And he will turn it so that it becomes the thing that you share in your testimony and the ministry that you lead and you're helping other people because you've taken that thing and God says, no, I wanna turn it around and bring everything. Everything, every brokenness, every, dis, you know, every, every suffering, every despair, every failure, all those things, I can turn it around and I can work it according to my purpose so the one who's bringing everything according to the purpose of his will. Are you willing to let him redeem all those things, everything in your life? See, what we see is in the midst of this is that what he's teaching us is there's this incredible truth that Jesus Christ has come and entered into this broken world to bring healing, a healing touch that redeems and restores what is broken. Now, there's something even incredible here. I want you to notice, look at verse 6. You know, this is like one of these things that you read through it and you don't understand, and then you, you see it, it's like, oh man, that's awesome. All right, verse six. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And he went and washed and came back saying. Now, have you ever wondered why he spat in the ground and made this mud? I mean, he didn't ever do this any other time. Why did he do it here? And, I, and I've heard all kinds of people guess, you know, uh, you know some of the... Some of the ideas, you know, people say, well, there's magical mud, or, you know, it's like I mean, some of the ideas that I've heard people say are, are pretty out there. Well, it goes back, though, to Scripture interprets Scripture. It's actually, it's not clear until you see it, and then it's really clear. All right, right before this, Jesus had talked in, in John 8, and he said, I am, before Abraham was, I am. And he's identifying himself as God creator. All right, now keep that in mind. So he just identified himself as God creator. When God created man, how did he make man? Out of the dirt of the ground, he formed the body of man and then he breathed life. And so now you have God creator who formed the body of man out of the dirt of the ground and he takes this man that is now broken that has the effects of sin and he takes the ground and he spits out of his mouth and he takes mud and he says, okay, the one that I created out of the dirt of the ground, I'm now taking and I'm I'm now recreating. I'm, I'm, I'm restoring, I'm redeeming that which is broken. Generally, when you think of this and you put mud in your eyes, you think that shouldn't help you see, that shouldn't... See, it's not trying to help them see. There's nothing magical. There's nothing medical about this. It's an image that goes all the way back to creation. This is the creator who came to intervene, to come and do a work of recreation. What is, when you look at Jesus and you understand his ministry, it's not just that Jesus came to forgive our sins and restore our relationship with God. No, it's when he comes and he does that, literally he begins a process of, of reversing aspects of the curse. He brings healing to what is broken. And so practically, sometimes it's miraculous. But that's why Christians are the ones that set up hospitals. 
because we do the work of Christ of bringing healing to the brokenness of sin. That's why Christians set up things like haven arrest or pregnancy services and ministering to pregnant women or to addicted men. Or why? Because we're bringing healing to what is broken. We're trying to represent Jesus Christ who came and bring that healing and literally said, okay, I'm gonna, in little ways, begin to reverse the curse. Now, are we gonna ever get Eden back? Yes, when we get heaven. We get heaven, but not until we get heaven. We're not gonna get Eden back all the way, but you know what? The work of the gospel is it's beginning a process, not only of healing our relationship with God, but then as we follow Christ, it heals our relationship with each other. As we continue, we bring healing into the midst of our culture. We bring healing to what is broken that his healing power redeems and restores what is broken so that the story of the church is stories when you come back and you hear these people talk about here what was broken and here's how God's intervened. Here's what God has healed. Here's how God has restored. Here's how God put my life back together again. It's something that started now, not realized fully into eternity, but you know what? It started now. And so the question really is, are you letting him Number one, work in your life. What is there in your life that he wants to heal, that he wants to restore, that he wants to touch, that he wants to redeem, literally taking things that you want to hide and say, this is my scar that nobody could see. Well, bring it before the grace of God. He takes your scar and he transforms it to be a unique mark of your beauty. Do you believe he can do that? Are you willing to bring it before him, to bring that scar before him and let him touch it, let him heal it, let him restore it, let him redeem it? Are you willing to let him work not only in you but through you so that as you become a follower of Christ and go into the world, that you now bring that healing touch into the world, that you bring a restorative, redeeming effect into the world so that, especially out of your brokenness, God's now suddenly using that so that you're bringing healing to people that are broken in the way that you used to be. Only God can do that. So the question then is really, what is our response to the healing hand of Jesus? All of us are broken. All of us are broken in one way or another. I know that's, you know, that's I, I was such a beautiful picture when, when, we, when our son was younger and he was involved in a special needs baseball and, and you see all these kids that are struggling and, and it was so beautiful to see the support. You know, they weren't beat up because they're striking out or, Everybody's cheering for him, and you realize that's the way the church should be. We're all broken. We're all ashamed. We all want to hide. Do you recognize that Jesus Christ says, no, brokenness is part of life because we live this side of Eden? And the question and the brokenness, are we going to come before Christ and let him bring that healing power? For some, that brokenness might be in the midst of suffering and say, God, why in the world do you allow this? Why did you allow this with my child? Why do you allow this with my... Parent, why are you allowing this in my life? And see, I want you to realize that, again, the normal is brokenness, and God, God holds that back. And when you ask that question, you're not really asking, God, why are you causing it? Because God's not causing it. We're asking, God, why did you allow it? And you know what? I can't give you the exact answer. All I can tell you is that God only allows it if he can use it for good. And he invites you to struggle. But he also tells you in the midst of this, I want you to know there's a purpose. And you may not understand it for 20 years. You might not understand it for the side of eternity, but know that there's a purpose. And if that's your wound today, it may not be the physical wound, it might be the emotional wound. Are you willing to come before God and let him heal it? Are you willing to let him come and not only heal it, but to redeem it? 
and say, God, I want to not only believe, but I, help me to not only believe and trust, but help me then to, in that belief and trust just to, to look at and say, and God, how are you going to use this? God, help me to not resent something as bad, but help me to see how what is, was meant for evil, you allowed, and help me to see the good. Are you willing to let God work in your life in that way? You see, God invites us today, each one, to the healing hand of Jesus Christ. The healing hand that, that intervenes not by bringing pain and judgment, but intervenes into a broken world by bringing healing, by restoring, by bringing grace. And it's an offer to grace to all who would receive him, who would come to his healing hand to experience that grace personally in our lives. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions about what we talked about, Jesus Christ, our church, or anything else, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or by email. We'd love to hear from you.